0: the Coast Range Association, this is Coast Range Radio. I'm your host, Michael Gaskill. Today we have not one, but two amazing guests. I'll be joined by Bob Salinger, who's going to walk me through the bombshell that Oregon State University just dropped on the Elliott State Forest process, and why them walking away might actually be good news for the forest. But first, we're going to hear a short excerpt of my conversation with Brenna Two from the Indigenous Environmental Network about their ongoing fight to shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline and how you can take action by submitting comments to the Army Corps of Engineers by December 13th. My conversation with Brenna was really fun, and we covered way more ground than I could fit into this episode, so I'll be releasing the extended interview as a bonus podcast. I hope you give that a listen. I think fans of this show will really appreciate the full conversation. You can find that and all episodes of Coast Range Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast apps. And of course, we are so appreciative of our radio community partners. Speaking of our podcast feed, it gives me no pleasure to say that I just checked and we have very few reviews and ratings. It would mean a lot to me if a few more listeners gave us a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. And last plug, I promise, it would mean a lot to us at the Coast Range Association if you would become a monthly donor at coastrange.org. You can click the link in the show notes as well. We are a small organization, but we're extremely passionate about this work and your support, whether big, small, small, any amount is critical to our ability to be effective. Okay, as always, my email is michael at org. Let's get on with the show. You know, I'm sure for a lot of folks, They've heard about the Dakota Access Pipeline, but that was like, you know, years ago when mm-hmm. there was the encampment at Standing Rock um, and things were really hot there. Mm-hmm. Or like when I went there in December, very, very cold, the coldest I've ever been <laughs> in my entire life. Uh, so could you give like maybe a quick refresher course on on what we're even talking about here and, and why?
1: Yeah, of course. This pipeline was proposed eight years ago um, and it was supposed to be built and is currently being built on the traditional uh, ochechi lands, which translates to the Great Sioux Nation, which Standing Rock is a part of, as well as um, like the Cheyenne River and Rosebud, uh, a whole bunch of other um, federally recognized tribes were originally a part of that bigger nation. So for those years, uh, Standing Rock, as well as thousands of other supporters, were uh, calling out the Dakota Access Pipeline for this proposed project um, because it would be a direct violation of the 1851 Fort Laramie Treaty. And beyond that, it also violates the uh United Nations recognized free, prior, and informed consent, which is a right that Indigenous people have to the free information uh, way before it could even be proposed so that they can have an informed consent to say no to any project that um, is being proposed that would affect them or the land that they're on. and That was definitely not done. So that led to uh Indigenous livelihoods and uh indigenous lands to becoming sacrifice zones. Uh so then after that happened in 2016, we had the beginning of um actually our uh my former uh coworker, really amazing activist that I really look up to, Joy Braun from the Shine River Sioux Tribe. She was the first person to put up a teepee on the uh Fort Laramie treaty lands and start her uh, spiritual protest camp that was calling out this project for uh, putting not only the land and the people right now in into that sacrifice zone, but putting our future generations into that sacrifice zone. And so from there, it kind of grew into this bigger movement of people from all over Turtle Island, people from all over the world coming to support the indigenous people who were saying we don't want this pipeline built here. We want to have clean water, not just for us, but for everyone's next seven generations, you know? And it was something that was really beautiful that you saw there at the camp. Um, and I remember that even though a lot of times when I think about what it had been like to be out there with my family, there were You know, tanks and they had people in full riot gear, policemen in full riot gear who were there to intimidate you and to cause violence on our bodies. What I remember most clearly is that. We had so many allies there who were thinking about our collective next seven generations and how we came together and thinking about each other's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So that was in 2016, 2017. And then from there... We were able to get an environmental impact study to be conducted between, uh, September 26, 2020 and October 26, 2020. So it was only supposed to be about a month. Um, but it was granted an extension. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers office, uh, had that extension and, um, we had until uh, November 26, 2020 to uh, uh, give our comments on that as well. Um, and then during this time frame, we saw that Iowa had gotten their permission to build more pump stations for the Dakota Access Pipeline along the route in their state. So the fight was really uh, split up between state mm-hmm. lines, and that made it even harder to fight this project, which is so disappointing because look, the main leg of our argument is that it does affect the Standing Rock Nation and it does violate the Fort Laramie Treaty. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's not just the Dakota Access Pipeline. It's any and all natural resource extraction projects, whether that is, you know, the Mountain Valley Pipeline, or it's a coal mine in uh, Alaska, or it's a, a lithium mine in Nevada. You know, all of these places, all of these systems that are continuing to be extractive are just going to take advantage of the land and going to force indigenous communities to be the sacrifice zone uh not to mention making up 86 percent of carbon emissions for the whole entire world just from fossil fuels alone which is a crazy number to think about and knowing that that is not something at all mentioned in the Paris agreement fossil fuels not mentioned once in the biggest uh international, agreement on climate change. No, that's a whole other thing yeah. though. Let me get back to, Let me get back to the Dakota Access. No, time. no,
0: I we yeah, I want to I mean, it has to be said, you know, and 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 mm-hmm. I'm hoping that we can we can get back to some of your broader campaign work in terms of keep it in the ground. But just so to recap, I think a lot of people probably were really Engaged in what was going on, whether whether they went to Standing Rock or or engaged from afar, because it really kind of captured. Um, the collective progressive imagination—what was going on—it was so inspiring, and I think it made it even more devastating when when Trump won. And and if you want to know how evil the Dakota Access Pipeline is, I think all you have to know is that it was one of the first executive orders that Trump signed was expediting the completion of that pipeline. That's how important it is to right-wing reactionary governments and corporations. You know that it was one of the first things that happened once that once that guy took office. And so for a lot of people, I think that was the end of it for For a lot of the public awareness, you know, was, oh, it's over, they won, There's there's oil flowing through those pipelines, you know, and so mm-hmm. probably a lot of folks didn't realize that there was still an opportunity to shut that down. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're talking about today, right, is this public comment period. So maybe we could jump back to how folks can get involved and how people can comment and and a little more about the context of why it is so important that people do take action right now.
1: Yes, absolutely. So if you're able to uh, look up just the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and Dakota Access Pipeline, you should see that there is a website that will allow you to follow the instructions for different ways to submit a comment Uh, one of the more common ones is to email them and I can drop the email, but I can also tell y'all to look at our, um, uh, website at ienearth.org where we lay out how you can Uh, submit those comments and unfortunately one thing i do have to say is we can't provide a template for people because they have a new uh software or system of detecting when different submissions sound too much like each other in which case they will count you could have five submissions that sound too similar they won't count as five submissions i think they'll only count as one if they're counted at all Mm -hmm. um and then the other thing that is really important to remember is that we're specifically talking about the portion of the Dakota Access Pipeline that is on the federally managed land at Lake Oahe. So you need to mention that it. we're talking about this specific part because if we leave it out, there's a whole bunch of other spots along the COVID access pipeline that we could be talking about, in which case your comment, again, will not be counted. So um, those are two really important things to remember um, is if you are planning on hosting like a comment writing party or uh, anything like that, y'all can't write too similarly. Um, And also you do need to mention that you're talking about the portion of the pipeline that again crosses that federally managed land at Lake Oahe. And you can also find it on any of our uh, social media. We're posting pretty frequently about it, as well as including some really awesome quotes from community members, if you're needing a little bit of inspiration as well, um, who are talking about why this is such an important issue and why we still need to continue trying to shut down this Dakota Access pipeline, which I can't believe I'm still saying that (laughs) eight years later.
0: Unfortunately, we have to leave it there, but you can hear the rest of my conversation with Brenna Two Bears on the Coast Range Radio podcast feed or at coastrange.org. Something Brenna and I did not touch on is that on December 7th, People vs. Fossil Fuels is hosting a virtual public comment writing party, and I highly encourage everyone listening to attend. You can find the link to register for that in the podcast show notes or at IENearth.org. So once again, you're listening to Coast Range Radio, and we're going to turn now to my interview with Bob Salinger on the latest Elliott State Forest drama. Bob Salinger, welcome back to Coast Range Radio.
2: Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it.
0: So, Bob, I want to really get into depth on what Just happened with OSU and the implications. But first, I wonder if you could just give us a really quick, like 36 30 second explanation of of what just happened with OSU. I know that's hard because a lot is happening, but just you know, give us a little pump primer here.
2: Sure. Uh, What happened was uh, this week, after five years of good faith, collaborative uh, stakeholder negotiation. OSU uh, suddenly withdrew from the Elliott State Research Forest process. Uh, And so now we are figuring out uh, what the next steps are and how to move forward uh, without OSU at the table.
0: Yeah, and that is a huge bombshell, right? I think you were saying before we started recording that they announced this basically with no notice and as the, this was all being finalized. And I want to get into all that in depth and, and what that means for the process going forward. Um, but I want to step back real quick and just to make sure that folks understand what we're talking about, which is the Elliott State Forest uh, in the Southern Oregon Coast Range. And if folks want to learn a lot more about the Elliott, we had a great interview with Bob about a year and a half ago, where we really went in depth, on the history of the Elliott State Forest, what makes it so special. So we're not gonna dive as deep today, but I wonder if you could just kind of give that that quick elevator pitch of, of what and where is the Elliott State Forest and what makes it so special.
2: Uh, the Elliott State Forest is an amazing place. It's a 82,000 acre state forest uh, located in the coast range, uh, near Coos County and Douglas County. Um, it's an incredibly important place for federally listed species like the Northern Spotted Owl, marble Morletts, Coast Coho. Uh, historically, it was tied to the Common School Fund. Basically, revenue generated by timber harvest on the Elliott went to the Common School Fund, and that put tremendous pressure on the forest uh, to uh, produce timber. And Uh, The state for many, many, many years illegally harvested uh, in occupied habitat, habitat occupied by uh, species listed under the Endangered Species Act, which was illegal. Uh, They were sued several years ago by conservation groups. Uh, The state settled and agreed to stop doing that. Uh, They also tried to put the Elliott State Forest up for sale at one point, and uh, the community pushed back on that. And so for the last five years, uh, the state... Uh, Department of State Lands has convened a stakeholder working group uh, to basically chart a path forward for the Elliott. And that included conservation groups. It included tribes. It included timber interests, counties, uh, Oregon State University. Uh, And we've been working diligently and in good faith for five years to bring uh, a vision forward for how we move forward together. Um, Final approval for these agreements was supposed to occur at the December 2023 state land board meeting which is now only a few weeks away mm-hmm. uh, and again as we talked about at the beginning Oregon State University basically withdrew from the process uh, earlier this week
0: well thanks for that quick overview and and just to highlight you know the stakes of this process and it's important for folks that that maybe aren't super familiar with the elliot just to know like how big of a fight went on for so many years, even before we got to that point. You know, So this isn't just about OSU walking away from a five-year deal. I know so many activists who, who cut their teeth in forest defense on the Elliott. So I just want to underscore for the audience what a big deal this is that OSU walked away at basically the last second. So I think now would be a good time to kind of go into detail on on what their stated concerns are, and then I'd like to hear you because I know that you don't agree with a lot of what they're saying. So, could you first, why are they saying they're pulling out, and then what what is the myth versus reality there? What's what do you think is going on?
2: Well, before we get to that, I just want to say that I think there's still a path forward. Um, that OSU uh, was not essential to move forward, um, and so I think the good news is is that we can capture this work that's been done. Uh, and continue forward and continue to realize that vision. But you're absolutely correct. Um, The Elliott State Forest is really the crown jewel of the Coast Range, and it has been a battlefield literally for decades. Tree sitters, blockades, multiple lawsuits, battles over the sale It's been one of the most conflicted landscapes in Oregon for decades. Uh, So this is a really, really big deal um, to get this done. Uh, And it took sacrifice in every direction. Uh, Everybody had to give something to get something. This was not an easy negotiation. I've been doing this for 30 years. Uh Uh, This was one of the most difficult negotiations I've ever been in. But we came to some very fundamental agreements that uh, the groups that really had been tracking the Elliott, uh, at least the majority of them really felt, was going to give us substantial ecological lift while also achieving other goals as well. And so it offered the promise of a lot more protection and restoration, uh, but also ongoing collaboration going forward as well, um, that maybe we might be able to transcend these historic battles. Uh, I don't want to speak too much for Oregon State University. Uh, Their letter kind of speaks for itself, but uh, the kinds of things they cited in their letter were uh, last-minute changes uh, that would undermine their vision of what a research forest should be. Uh, And they talked about limits on... uh, harvest, uh, board feed and things like that. Um, and I think that's really a misrepresentation. I think it's a very big misrepresentation because we made some very fundamental agreements back in 2018, 2019. This has been going on for a long time, as we've noted, uh, that got everybody to really agree to move forward together. And we've all stuck to those agreements throughout Um, And again, those were those were hard negotiations. And uh, everybody has something in there that they like and everybody has something in there that they probably dislike as well. Uh, But people have stuck to the table and have stuck to the agreements. Uh, And in the last year, it's really been Oregon State University that has tried to change some things to the credit of the state of Oregon Department of State Lands. Uh they they wouldn't allow that to happen. They basically said, "No, these were the terms that everyone agreed to. We have to negotiate negotiate out the details, but we're not going to start moving the goalposts at this point in time." Uh it's perfectly within Oregon State University's right to leave at this point. Uh you know, the final decision was still a few weeks away. Uh but uh anybody that says that Uh, the terms had been changed, uh, simply is not being accurate. Uh, And the fact is, is that the stakeholders had multiple, multiple opportunities to reaffirm their commitment to these fundamental agreements. Uh, We had to pass legislation where everybody basically reaffirmed it. We had to go to the land board several times and testify. Uh, So there's been lots and lots of opportunity. And uh, OSU has been there every step of the way and has been reaffirming its commitment. So Again, I respect their right to withdraw. What they basically said was um uh they're not forwarding uh approval to their own board of directors, to the Oregon State University Board of Directors. Uh and uh that effectively takes them out of the game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean their the statement they put out definitely, you know, put the onus on on everyone else but them. Um and so it it's good to hear, you know, you correcting the record there. Um, you know, obviously the cynical take would be that they weren't going to be able to harvest as much timber as they wanted. And I'm not in a position to say whether that's the, the accurate read or not. Well, I I can comment on that. I I was going to say, I was (laughs) just going to say,
2: feel free if you want to. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's been on the table for for again four or five years uh, has been that uh, what the Elliot uh, would yield would be around 17 million board feet. Now that's give or take a little bit, but 17 million has been the number that's been on the table for for years. Uh, that's a lot of harvest, too. By the way, that is not a small amount on an 82,000 acre forest. Um, but uh, again, you know, from a conservation perspective, and there were many, many groups very actively tracking this. In fact, several groups met every single week for the last several years to track this It's been a very, very intense process. Uh, we felt that uh, the benefits to the landscape over time were going to be very significant. Now, is it everything we wanted? No, no, it's not. But a very, very significant improvement, good, strong protections for listed species, good protections for older forests and more older forests over time. Uh, so we felt that it was enough. Mm-hmm. Um, in recent months, OSU has started putting out very different numbers about what they might uh, anticipate harvesting during the first couple of decades, uh, as high as uh, in 30 million plus board feet. Mm. And um, you know, these are all theoretical exercises. But uh, at this point, but we're getting to the end game too. I mean, we're starting to lock down on what's really going to happen in the next uh, really days and weeks. Um, and uh, they were held to account on that. They were told, no, you know, really the number is about $17 Now, may that fluctuate a little bit in any given year? Yes, it may. Uh, We all know that. But when we're talking mid-20s, 30s, that's completely out of bounds. I also think it's really important to remember that the taxpayers of Oregon spent $221 million to buy the Elliott State Forest out of the Common School Fund, the D-Link harvest from funding schools, in order to take the pressure off of the forest. I mean, that was the driver for spending $221 million. That money went to the Common School Fund, and the Elliott is now free of that obligation. And so just being consistent with what the taxpayers expect, uh, they did not expect to see harvest levels that rival and exceed uh, the amounts that when it was still in the Common School Fund. And so uh, for so many reasons, uh, the buyout and also the agreements that have been on the table, those kinds of numbers simply were not realistic and not acceptable. Uh, frankly, I would love to see a lower number uh, than 17 million, but those are some of the compromises that we made uh, and we have held to. So uh, we expect the same. Yeah. Uh, if they can't with it any longer, they're prerogative, but the goalposts were not moved. That is entirely inaccurate.
0: Well, that is is really good context and clarity. So thanks for providing that. Yeah. Um, I want to learn what this means going forward and and how you think that we can still move forward. But we do, real quick, need to address uh, the tribal concerns that OSU brought up. Um, So could you speak to that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I I want to be very careful um, not to speak for the tribe. And I think Mm -hmm. OSU should have been as well, frankly. But uh, what I will reiterate, and I'll let the tribes speak for themselves, is that the tribe, C.T. Clusi were also at the table every step of the way as well. Uh, They were on the stakeholder committee. They're on the currently appointed board that would go into formal effect on January 1st. Um, They have repeatedly also testified in support of these terms. So uh, they've been there the whole time. Uh, Again, I'm not going to speak for where they're at, but uh, to the degree that they've changed their mind, uh, again, the goalposts have not been moved. I would also reiterate too that um, the protections that we anticipate on the Elliott State Forest are in large part to bring it into compliance with the Federal Endangered Species Act. That's why they got sued. That's why they had to settle. That's why there has not been a stick of timber coming off this forest for the last six or seven years. Uh, It's been shut down because the state was not in compliance with the Endangered Species Act. And so part of what we're doing here is making sure that we're in compliance, that we have robust protections for those endangered species, coho, marble murlet, spotted owls, um, and so, uh, again, anyone has the prerogative to walk away from the table, but these are agreements that were reiterated over and over again, and people came and testified uh, in support of them. So it really should be no surprises at this point.
0: And just to, real quick, when you said CT Clusi, for anyone that doesn't know, that means the Confederated Tribes of Coos, Lower Umqua, and Siuslaw.
2: Thank you. Sorry to use the acronym.
0: Oh, no worries. That probably segues actually nicely into how do we move forward, you know, because at some point you all probably will sit back down around the table and, you know, what are the paths forward
2: here? Uh, I think the good news, I hope it's good news, is that um, there is a path forward. Um, OSU was certainly a significant part of this, but I don't think they actually, in the context of moving forward, were an essential piece of this, uh, because the fact is the state was going to retain ownership of the Elliott under any scenario going forward. That was not in question. That's still the case, it's still under DSL. Uh, there is a uh, appointed board in place that can continue to function after January 1st uh, and um, uh, do the oversight of the Elliott that was anticipated and uh we can find uh, an entity to actually do the on-the-ground management. Uh, there are entities out there that can do that within the state and outside. So there is all kinds of possibilities. The framework we've developed, this system of reserves, uh, ecological forestry, and also clear cuts, because there are clear cuts in the mix as well, uh, can also move forward uh, as a basically a management framework. And Uh, the protections we have in place, the significant reserves, uh, the stream buffers, and so on uh, can be retained. Uh, So we have an agreement that allows robust protections, uh, significant harvests, uh, more opportunities for recreation, uh, collaborative work, and As far as the research goes, there's nothing to preclude that either. Uh, The Elliott, as set up, can be a world class research forest and OSU can do research there. Uh, So can others. Um, You know, for right now, you know, and I want to be clear, they basically said we're not going to forward this to our board for approval. Um, But the legislation that's uh, guiding this process says, basically we have until December 31st to finish the process. Uh, so by not doing that, they basically effectively pulled themselves out of, uh, the final round here. Mm -hmm. Uh, but my hope is that we do move forward, um, that, uh, we take the good work that's been done to date, uh, and, uh, the land board, uh, basically, uh, sets a path forward for, uh, 2024 and beyond, uh, consistent with the agreements we've made. Um, you know, I think the uh, different board members now are all uh, taking stock of what's <laughs> happened, but there really is nothing precluding uh, forward progress. Uh, it's also very important to note that uh, I think some people assumed that OSU was going to manage the entire forest, that, that, you know, that suddenly this giant void has been left. That was actually one of the pieces that was under negotiation. That was nowhere near assured. Uh, we were figuring out what OSU's role would be. Would it be simply to lead the research? Would it be more than that? Would there be things like, for example, road maintenance or garbage or enforcement that would be distributed somewhere else? Uh, Those things were all being discussed right now. So for people that feel that suddenly, oh my goodness, OSU just took the entire management structure and left. No, we were actually in the process of figuring out where they would fit into that. Uh, So uh, I think there's, there's a pretty strong path forward for us based on the work that's in place.
0: Well, that's great to hear. And I guess one of the last questions I'll have for you is, you know, how can listeners get engaged or stay updated on the process? What's the best way for folks to learn more about what's next? And if there's any like public comment or opportunity for the public to engage coming up?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. And the public has been so important in this process throughout. And it's the public could pay $221 million to get yeah. the forest out of the common school fund. Uh, so it's incredibly important. And and my hope is that ultimately, although these last, uh, you know, and, and these end games are always really hard. We know that going in, right? We know that the end game is really, really hard. The hardest things happen right before you sign the deal. And uh, the nervousness goes up, you know, to 10 or 11 or beyond right before you sign the deal. Uh, So this is the hard part. Um, But it's absolutely important the public keep tracking, keep weighing in. Uh, I think what's probably going to happen at the land board meeting in December, and I'm speculating here, is there's probably not going to be necessarily a whole lot to weigh in on in terms of huge decisions. I think what the land board will probably do is continue uh, with forward with a habitat conservation plan. One of the things that we worked on for the last several years is a habitat conservation plan for the US Fish and Wildlife Service. I think that will probably be submitted to them for final approval before the end of the year, we might guess. Um, I think the land board will probably try and chart a path forward and say, uh, this is the timeline. Uh, we'll keep working, hopefully, with the existing board um and uh reaffirm their commitment to kind of the basic structure um but i think we'll have to wait and see for another week or so about what exactly the decisions are going to be and what the process for input will be the signals i've gotten from the state so far though are basically full steam ahead um so i think that's what people should anticipate uh and kind of start to get their heads around whether they think that's a good thing or not not a good thing uh again my Personal opinion is that it is a a good thing. I'm glad to hear them say that, and um, I think we can be as strong or even stronger potentially from a conservation perspective than what we were already supporting.
0: And so, are you are you asking folks to to come to that state lands meeting in December? Are you? Is there a? I'm
2: asking them. I'm hedging is what I'm doing sure. because still <laughs> reacting this week and I don't know what's going to be on the agenda yet. So. Sure, sure.
0: Well, and how so can
2: I don't? I, I I tried to give a glimpse of what I thought might be, but I'm but I want to be clear. I'm speculating too yeah. based on conversations we've had. Uh, I want people to keep tracking it, and, and people are more than welcome to write me directly as well. Uh, I have my own website. Uh, uh, bird conservation oregon.org again bird conservation oregon.org or my email address uh, is uh, bird conservation oregon at gmail.com so very easy bird conservation oregon at gmail.com Great. um and uh, so people are more than re- welcome to write me. I'll probably be sending out a number of updates as things go on to people that I know are interested. Uh, but I think probably Cascadia Wildlands is the best source of kind of information uh, from one of the bigger conservation groups. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, But again, I I was hedging my bets a little bit because we don't know exactly what the land board is going to look like and what decisions are going to be on the table and how things are going to evolve over the next several days as people really continue to get their heads around this and assess where they're at and where the whole process is at. Uh, So I didn't want to, I don't want people to go away with the idea that, you know, this specific decision is going to be uh, presented um, or this is the format that's going to be right. Uh, You can also go straight to uh, the state land board website and look at the agenda and see as well um i know that a lot of groups though will be sending out alerts in the next couple of weeks i know that some already have uh, to make sure that people are up to date uh, in this kind of uh, tumultuous moment
0: right and and i'll make sure to put links in our in our show notes on our website and we will be posting on our facebook and instagram as well so if you follow coast Range on our facebook we'll we'll make sure to to put out those alerts and and updates well bob as i mentioned before I know you are a lot busier uh, this week than you probably intended to be with this news. So I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, Is there anything that we've missed that you want to make sure gets included?
2: Yeah, I would end by just saying that, you know, I've been doing this kind of work for 30 years. There's a lot of activists out there that have been doing it longer. Um, And uh, most of us now have basically lived most of our lives uh, in the context of the forest wars and these ongoing battles um and those have been incredibly important uh without them we would have lost our uh, old growth forests. we would have lost uh species like the marble marlette and the spotted owl um uh, i'm excited about this because i think we have an opportunity on one of oregon's most conflicted landscapes to take the next step forward and maybe get into a new era uh and that is very difficult it's difficult for the people at the table it's difficult for the people that care um but Uh, We do have a very strong proposal right now. Um, uh, One of the largest uh, reserves in the coast range at 33,000 plus acres, a system of smaller reserves to protect imperiled species across the rest of the forest, good stream buffers, significantly less harvest than has gone on historically, and a whole lot of other protections that I won't go into right now that do put the Elliott on a trajectory toward significantly increased forest health over the next many decades. And so I hope we do capture that work. I hope we keep working together. And um, uh, I hope we can enter that new era. I think it'd be a shame if we lost five years of effort. I don't think just because you put in a lot of effort, that is a reason in and of itself to go forward. But I think we have something substantial here that does make it worthwhile.
0: Well, Bob, thank you so much for your work on this. I know you've put tremendous time, energy, probably blood, sweat, and tears into this and uh so i thank you for that and i wish you the best of luck in these uh tricky next few weeks and we will be closely following the progress and doing what we can to support it uh so thank you so much for joining us today thanks for having me and that's it for this episode of coast range radio thanks so much to Brenna two bears and bob salinger We'll have links to everything we talked about today in the podcast show notes on our Instagram, our Facebook, and at coastrange.org. Thanks so much to our community radio station partners for carrying the show. Coast Range Radio is a production of the Coast Range Association, and again, we're at coastrange.org. If you like what we do, please consider supporting our work. Whether it's a donation, signing up for our email list on our website, or just telling your friends about us, we truly, truly appreciate your support. And you can drop me a line at michael at coastrange.org, and I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.